0: You're listening to Early Doors Football Podcast with host Mark Roach and co-host Dylan Kerr, Tom Watt and Shirelle Castle. A For The Now media production.
1: Welcome to episode three of the Early Doors Football Podcast. And our guests are Shaka Hislop, Mark Halsey, Dennis Green and Jennifer Curry. But first, it's time for...
0: Highlight of the Week.
1: And I'm going to let this commentator on YouTube announce it.
2: Ronaldo! Ronaldo! Cristiano Ronaldo!
1: Yes, of course, it's Cristiano Ronaldo's move to Manchester United. And that was...
0: Highlight of the week.
1: So, Dylan, uh, we're going to start with you. I've got a question for you from Marilyn Price. She says, What is your most memorable story from your time at Kilmarnock? And she also says, P.S., do you remember me?
3: <laughs> How can I ever get Marilyn Price? Oh my God. Um, no, she's a, she's a great girl. She's a Kilmarnock super fan. And uh, I think she fancies me a wee bit, but uh, she's, a, she's a good girl, Marilyn. Um, I think one memory at Kilmarnock is when I scored against our local rivals, rivals A United. Uh, which we've discussed with Pat Nevin before. And after scoring, I ran, I jumped over the, uh, the the stadium wall, ran up, not the steps of the of the stand, I ran up, I think ten flights of chairs, which I think broke. I think I broke five of them, uh, and celebrated with a uh, with a fan. So that's probably one of the one of the few uh, nice memories that we can broadcast live.
1: Uh, and, and Tom, uh, I've got to come to you I've, being an Arsenal
4: I've fan. Had I don't know anybody called Malloran in price.
1: <laughs> Um, Talking about Arsenal, Spurs top of the league, Arsenal bottom, what's going on?
4: Well, Spurs are, have had a nice, easy start to the season. They sneak one against <laughs> eight. Spurs are all right. Spurs are all right. And Arsenal ain't. It's similar. I'll tell you what though, I'm glad you brought that up. The Man City game. Sorry, just just remind me, if a player strikes another player on the field of play with a closed fist intentionally,
1: what happens to him? Well, I think there's a few things that...
4: No, I'll... no, just answer that question. Just well, answer me that question.
1: That should be it's a rip. right? That should be a rip.
4: Absolutely. Run. So not only should Man City not have gone 2-0 up, they should have been playing with 10 men from then after. And I don't... You know, it just... It winds me up. The kind of the simple narrative. Look, people can make their own minds up about Mikel Arteta. They can make their own minds up about the team. For me, what's going on on the pitch is the least of Arsenal's worries. To be perfectly honest, the least of the worries. But I do look at that game on Saturday and I go, why is nobody talking about that? Why is nobody talking about the fact that Jackers Jackers um, tackled it? He got red carded for. If you look at it from the other angle, you go, that's a great tackle. He's not gone too footy. He's kept one leg tucked in so his trailing leg won't catch the fella. Cancelo's got Shaka sent off. You just go, it's tough. So I feel for, to be honest, I feel for the players and I feel for Arteta on Saturday afternoon because obviously the only narrative that anybody's interested is, in is Arsenal in crisis and let's get... Let's, you know, they or everybody just taste the blood in the water and let's get rid of Arteta. And it does my head in a bit where, it, actually, if you step back and go, the only thing worse than Arsenal's defending on Saturday were the refereeing decisions. Arsenal should have been playing 11 against 10 from about, what, the 20, 20th, 25th minute onwards? and But nobody mentions that because it doesn't fit the narrative. And it does... It does do me it. sorry. Next question. <clears throat> well, that, let's let's well, move you know, on. I'm sorry, no. You know, you saw what you saw what Rodri did to Chambers. It's a punch with a closed fist. And you, d- you see, you see, Kalasinach gets a booking for an open palm in the general direction of someone's face in the second half. I just, you know, if. If we're going to have VAR, I don't know what it's for if it's not for situations like that because you can't blame Mike, um, you can't blame the uh, you can't blame the referee. Neither incident was he well placed to see, but VAR has got to just pull both of them, haven't they? Got you got to send the oh. Man City player off and Shaka don't get sent off for that tackle.
3: Well, Tommy, me, I mean, look, Shaka does the analysis in, in America for ESPN, right? Now, I watch the game and I'm, I'm not a fan of VAR because I think it's, you know, it's good in some circumstances and then it's horrendous in the other. But you look at the Man United game with the, the goal and, and Neves, you know, when you, when you analyse the, the tackle, the referee's a metre away, didn't see any contact, right? The VAR saw him touch his pad. You saw Neves take two, two strides, look at the referee... And the referee didn't blow and he fell on the floor as if he was Borlax, you know, and he, he just, this VAR thing for me, he just takes, like I said, I don't think there was anything wrong with that tackle. I don't, I don't think it was malicious. I don't think he went to hurt the player. He went for the ball. Genuinely, he went for the ball, got it. He didn't just go for the ball, he got the ball. Yeah, but he, he's got, he the, got ball, the ball, but the yeah. player's reaction, his scream his cry when he got when because the referee's close and then when he went you know it's just like the var for the penalty for chelsea right the referee went over to the monitor he didn't even get close to the monitor he just looked at the 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 footage when it stopped then gave the penalty and give the red card you know so it's it's got to be done right but that's my opinion shaka is a a pundit on tv in america shaka over to you pal
2: uh, I have to say, I saw both those incidents very differently from, from both of you, in, in all honesty. I, I thought there was no question uh, about the Granite Shaka challenge. I disagree with Tom. I, I think from the, time, from the time a player leaves both feet and, and, and jumps at the ball, as, as Granit Shaka did, that, that's a red card and has been for the last five or six years. Maybe it wouldn't have been a red card back in all day. But for the last, I'll say, five, five or six years, that, that's, that's been an automatic red. No question. I, I thought the, uh, in the build-up to the, to the second City goal, I thought it was two players tussling. I, I, I didn't see I, I didn't see anything wrong with it. And, and again, I, I have no dog in this fight at all. I, I, it doesn't bother me in the slightest who, who won that game or what happened during the course of that game. And then similarly, um, Liverpool-Chelsea. It, it was a... It was a handball on the on the line. I prevented a goal. I, the referee didn't need to go over to, to the monitor. If you ask me, that that's again penalty only debate is 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 whether it was a red. I'm a little bit on the fence with, with that, but I I have no criticism around either of those or any of those decisions that, that you all just Shaka. Mm.
4: it's just we've just got Dylan's take on it, and I'm I'm in Dylan's camp. I'd I'd rather there was no VAR. I, I just, mm. as, a, as a person who actually doesn't, I, I don't get much pleasure watching football on telly anymore. I, I, you know, if I'm not... Well, you're there, an Arsenal I'm, fan, I'm, I'm,
2: Tom. You're an Arsenal fan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's true. There's not much pleasure to be had from that. There's not much pleasure.
4: But generally speaking, I'd just rather be in a stadium. Do you know what I mean? And of course, VAR, the one thing it's done is completely destroyed the experience of people in the stadium.
2: I, I, yeah, I get what that. Can... I, 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 understand. I understand the concern around that, but I also recognize the um, uh, the value to, to having the right decision and and um, how much is at stake nowadays um, when if, if referees get things wrong. I mean, whether we're talking about a team finishing in the top four or not, whether we're talking about a team um, staying up in, in the Premier League or not, there, there's a huge financial implications to getting those decisions absolutely right um, so I, I have no problem with VAR given that um, I, 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 I listen I also understand that people want to want to see the game uh, and, and keep it moving but you can't complain about VAR saying that it's slowing the game down and taking away from the experience and then in, in the next breath as dill as, as just did say that the referee needed to spend more time at the monitor. To to review the the um, the the penalty against against Chelsea, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't.
3: No, I agree, shaka But if, uh, I'm watching the I'm watching the game uh, on a big on in a in a in a in a bar in South Africa with this hundred inch TV screen, and it the the penalty. I mean, it's it's hit his leg, then hit his hand. Okay, it stopped it going in the goal, but it didn't intentionally. And the first instant. And ball it
2: as if an intentional lamballic. It's hit his leg, then it's it's his arm. In, in, then intention, it, is, intention has nothing to do with it. though Intention has nothing no, to but, do with it. Yeah, um, it doesn't and, now. And, and, and similarly the with the granite Shaka challenge, he, he didn't. Nobody said he intended it to hurt anybody. He left, but you leave your two feet and you jump in, uh, in that way, you're going to get a red card. I, at the same time, when you, we, we, I think intention has been a phrase that we've kind of latched on to. I, I, I think just a kind of. um to to to, 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 for, for, to give ourselves a gray area to debate. Intention has never been. Intention has never been a part of the decision. It's not included in, in the written laws in, in, in any way. It's it's never been included in any of the official documentation. Further to that, at, at the start of the season when they were talking about renewing VR uh, protocols and, and how they were doing um how they were they were using the the thicker lines, etc. The the term that they used was consequence. Uh, the term that, that um, uh, Mike Riley had of referees used in, in discussing the, the the new the new approach, he used consequence no less than three times um, in explaining in explaining their their, their new approach. If consequence is to be taken into consideration, you cannot debate that there was consequence to the handball after after it, it came off. After he came off with um, James's thigh, the consequence was his hand kept the ball out of the net. So you yeah. cannot be talking about intention because intention has never been a part of, as I say, either official or official laws or the interpretation as as described by the referees.
1: I think we could go on talking about this for for a lot longer, but. Um no,
4: we could go on listening to Shaka. We could go on listening to Shaka.
1: Yeah. Well <laughs> Shaka, I wanted it to ask it you as always. Hypnotic yeah,
4: we... as always. He's wrong, <laughs> but he's hypnotic as always.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Shaka, e- England uh, are playing a World Cup qualifier in Hungary on Thursday. And um mm. most people know that that you played for Trinidad and Tobago, but um, you actually got called up for England, didn't you, as well? Yeah. Um, what do you remember back at, uh, back to then, when you sort of had that chance to to play for England and not Trinidad and Tobago?
2: Well, it was a strange turn of events. So this was going back to, our, it was in my last season with, with Newcastle. I left Newcastle in, in 98. Um, December 97, Trinidad and Tobago were, were going to play the Gold Cup in, in the US in, in January, January 98. I, I had spoken to um, I'd spoken to a, a few people involved in, in the squad. Um, I had the standoff with, with Jack Warner, which meant that I, I resisted all call-ups to try and to be on national team at the time. And, and I, felt that, um, I, I felt that I felt that I I, want, I wanted to wear my national colours. And I reached out to a few people. Dwight York was was on the national team at the time. I spoke to him um, and, and a couple others who who are new, um, but. Trying to be able already named their squad they, they told me they, they, they couldn't make a change um, so I, I wasn't wasn't called into the national team back then uh, and then all of a sudden I, I think it would have been around January February 1998 um, Glenn Hoddle is, is is now the the um, the England national team manager and and he calls me in to be part of, of England's B setup Um I, I I don't know. If, uh, we're all old, old enough to remember part of that part of that call-up round. Chris Sutton was called into to the yeah. B team, and he re, he refused the call-up. He said he didn't want to be he didn't want to be a part of the B team. And and why I mentioned that will will become uh, I, I will I will let everybody know now. Um, but when I when I joined in with the with the B team training training with with, with um I think Kevin Pressman was the other goalkeeper who was called up. Uh, Tim Flowers went down injured for for the for the um, for the for the a team. The two goalkeepers were Nigel Martin, Tim Flowers, David Seaman hadn't been called up even though he'd been the regular. But it was a friendly uh, against Chile. And then Tim Flowers went down injured, and Hoddle moved me over to to sit on the bench for for that game. Uh, I much went off without without any incident. Nigel Martin played the full ninety minutes. I got called up the next uh, whenever the next international window was to to play against. Uh, Switzerland. Um, I had been injured. Um, I had been injured playing playing for uh, uh, still at Newcastle, um, but I, I, I didn't dare. I didn't dare say that I was injured or, or not not hit the call up because of what happened previously with Chris Sutton after he pulled out. I mean the press just absolutely hammered him. So now, even though I, I I had a really bad neck and I had no mobility at, at all, I, I went and played. And, and to be honest, I had an absolute stinker. I I <laughs> I, I I couldn't. But I, you know, I just had to. I, I was I was afraid to say no because of because of the fallout around Chris Sutton. Had an absolute stinker. Um, but anyway, rode the clock forward probably just over a year. Um, Ninety nine. I've joined West Ham. Uh, Bertel Sinclair, who's from Tobago, was named national team manager. Now, Bertel Sinclair is the national team coach who coached me at under 12, the first coach in Tobago to involve me in a national team setup. And, and um, you know, I, I owe him a lot as, as a result. So when he became national team manager, he called me up. That's when I, I definitely buried a, any, any uh, grievance I had with Jack Warner to heed that call up. So I didn't hesitate to go back. And even though Kevin Keegan came in, Kevin Keegan became the England team manager. He called me into an England team that summer, summer of 99, for, um, I think it would, would have been Euro qualifiers. I, you know, I, I only ever really dreamed. I grew up dreaming of wearing the, the red, white and black of Toronto Um, So I, I, I told Keegan at the time, listen, I'm, I've, I've made my decision. Um, I'm, I'm playing for Toronto Tobago and, and I've never regretted it, never regretted it.
4: That's brilliant. No, good man. my step from Trinidad and Tobago, so oh, really? I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. I knew there was something I liked about you,
2: Tom. I, I yeah.
4: knew. I wasn't <laughs> sure. <laughs> but look, just I, maybe I'm sure you'll know the answer. If you been, if you'd actually had to come off the bench in one of those friendly games, you would still have been able to play competitive football for Trinidad and Tobago, wouldn't you? It would only yeah. have been if you played in a qualifier, a competitive international that you would have been blocked from playing for Trini?
2: Because my, my, actually, my first game for Toronto-Bago wasn't a friendly I, against Jamaica. So I'd played in that, played all 90 minutes. But then after that, you can still call me up to be part of the England setup. Right. So I, I still right. could have gone and, and played for England because it was only a friendly, I played for, for Toronto-Bago. But uh, as I say, I, I Toronto-Bago is a team I grew up wishing that I, I could represent. I, I played all, I played junior national football growing up. Um and, and once I kind of made that it, it was all about this disagreement for want of a stronger term that I had with Jack Warner. Um why I I hadn't I hadn't been called up before that. And and once I decided to go back with Bertels and and I make no I, I make no secret of the fact that but for Bertel Sinclair, I, I probably would not have gone back to play for Trey and Tobago. Um but I, I owed Bertels so much.
4: Yeah, i tell you, it puts you on the side of the Angels. To be, able to, say, <laughs> uh, to be able to say I had a falling out with Jack Warner, that puts you on the side
2: of well, the angels. That, that's, history's been kind to me in that way. I, at, the time, <laughs> at the time, Tom, I felt like I was kind of all, all on my own. But the truth came to light, as as it always yeah. does. As it always does. Yeah, well, and you got your reward to play at a World Cup, didn't you? That's right. You
4: yeah. deserved it. <laughs>
1: Chaka, it's it's uh, it's been been great speaking to you. Um, we'd love to get you back on a- another episode in the future if you'd like to come back and talk Absolutely. about your, your time at Newcastle, Portsmouth, Reading, West Ham, I- if you'd like to.
2: I'm, I'm more than happy to to talk about any of those things and, and debate some of some of the issues um, as as they come up. It's always good fun. Right. Checker.
1: go on. Checker,
2: last. Must- who was the be- who was your best player you played with at Reading? Sorry, I, I I've got a really bad line now. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I <don't> know, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, properly shaky slope.
3: <laughs> 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 if are a Mickey Gooding, then I'm gonna fall out. <laughs>
2: uh, well, I'll save that for another time. How about that?
1: Save it for yeah, next time. Thanks, Shaka. agree,
2: you are. Take care. Thank okay, you.
1: Shaka. And it's time now for our second guest, former Premier League referee Mark Halsey. And Mark, you were referee for the 1999 Second Division playoff final between Manchester City and Gillingham. Obviously, Manchester City have gone on to achieve great things since then. But back then, they were in the equivalent of, of League One now. So, If they hadn't won that day, do you think things might have gone differently for them after that?
5: Um, Absolutely. I think that uh, Manchester City City have got a lot to thank me for. If it wasn't for me, they wouldn't be where they are today, would they? So um, um, now there's those extra five minutes. I I think that, yeah, I don't think... all City fans, will never forget that that day. As as obviously United as well, because that I mean, what a week it was for Manchester. Um, with United winning the Champions League and, and City getting that 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 promotion they 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 needed. So, um, so yeah, i It was a, it was a great great day for me because it was my first ever game at Wembley. Um, so at the, the old Wembley, I should say, I was fortunate enough to do 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 the new Wembley as well. Um, Obviously, we're like players, you know, very, very nervous. You want the game to go well for you, um, come out of it unscathed. And I think it was, you know, it was a, it was a cracking game. It was absolutely end to end. Obviously, Jingham winning two 0 with, with a few minutes left, plus stoppage time, and City come back two two and, and and win on penalties after extra time. And um, yeah, listen, it was it was fantastic for me. Um, you know, you walk up that you walk up that hill at the old Wembley out. Through the tunnel, and then the crowd just hits you, you know, makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. And as I say, it was a it was a fantastic thrill for me. We're just like referees, just like players. We want to referee at Wembley, uh, like players want to play at Wembley. Um, so it was a it was a great day for me, a very enjoyable day. Um, not so sure about the Jurgen fans. They've still not forgiven me, I think. Um, but listen, you know, so all those Jurgen fans out there, I apologise for those five minutes. But as I say, that. That's that's what that's what it was, and, um, and and we move on. But as I say, it was a it was a great day. I, I remember, it, it, you know, it goes so quickly. People people said to me, just save save at the moment, save the day. And you know, you blow that whistle to start the game, and next thing you know, it's all over, and it just goes just so quickly. Um, but uh, you know what, I remember it was a it was a great day, and um,
1: really really enjoyed it. Uh, and what uh, Mark, are, are some of the other sort of highlights that you remember from your career as a referee? Um, as I said, I, you, know,
5: I, I, you know, obviously, when I, I played for many years as a semi-professional pl- footballer, I then obviously went into refereeing and, um, you, know, you know, I think it's about 1988, I started. And then by 1996, I was on the national list as a referee and then obviously promoted to the Premier League in 1999, 2000. And then 2001, promoted to the FIFA list. So, you know, I was at the top of my game. So that was, that was a great thrill, you know, getting, getting promoted as quick as I did. As a, as a referee coming out, you know, sort of being a player, it doesn't mean to say every ex-player is going to make a good referee. That's not the case. Um, I was, I think, I was just natural. I was natural at at, at, um, at refereeing. But yeah, you know, I refereed many, many big games. Uh, you know, over, over the years. Uh, you know, I, I was. It was. It was. A, it was just something I loved football. It was in my blood. You know, I was. Played from the age of ten, you know, at my, my uh, primary school, um, started off as a midfielder. Played there one game. My uh, school teacher said, "You know, good there." And threw me in goal. And that's where I stayed for the rest of my football career, playing in goal. Um, so, yeah, listen, I, I you know, I had a fabulous memories. Got a lot to thank the uh, Premier League and the PGL for making me professional. Um, that was something that needed to happen. Um, so, but to say there's many, many big games that I referee, but I think if I look back at one, um, I think it was the one where, I mean, it was, there was a couple because obviously, as you know, um, you know, I had to take leave from the gang to battle, um, cancer, throat cancer. Um, and I was told if I survived, I would never, ever referee at the top level again. So I think stepping back into that, um, that reserve league or the football league, um and then into the football league and then back in into the premier league you know my my first game back in the premier league knowing that i was told that i would not never referee at that level again was most probably the highlight of my career yeah that was, that was coming that was coming back i refereed um wigan and blackpool first game of the season that season um and come out to you know a standing ovation by uh, um by both sets of fans, and and it was you know it was great. It was a football family that that, that sort of helped helped help us through as well, you know. So it was it was a thrill to, to be back and, and and refereeing. I think I I managed another three seasons, um, and listen, I could have I could have, I could have I could have carried on a bit longer. Um, I could have carried on a bit longer, but my body was just telling me, you know, of all the. The chemotherapy and the radiotherapy that my body had gone through, because obviously it's quite quite a strict regime of fitness that we had, we, we, we had to do. And um, my body just just shut down um, and, you know, and it told me, Mark, it was time to to, um, you know, leave the game because of, of you know, I had, a, I had a great career. I suppose I could have carried on another season or two if I wanted, if I had that. Little bit of loving um, from certain individuals in the management. I think had Keith Hackett still been in charge, I think I most probably would have stayed on for another season or two. But listen, you know, it is what it, it, is, what it is. And um, I decided it was time to, you know, perhaps walk away from the game. You know, with my reputation intact. And another thing that I think that that thrilled me was that, you know, the the relationship I had with the fans and the players. And, and the managers of, of of football clubs, you know, I had the respect of them, and and, and that sort of um, that pleased me more than perhaps you know refereeing. No, no, I was unfortunate; I never I never got to referee an FA Cup final. People say so I should have done because I had the ability, but sometimes you know, sometimes your face don't fit with with the hierarchy, and and that, and, and that and that was was the you know was to be so but you know looking back you know no nah, listen I didn't refere cup the FA Cup final refereed the league cup final but when I look back overall I think the, the respect that I had from players to the fans and the managers of, of football clubs that sort of that was the thing for me.
1: Uh, um and Mark you mentioned obviously your uh, battle with cancer it wasn't just yourself it was your your wife around about the same time as well I mean yeah what, what was that like as uh, as an experience dealing with that it, it, it,
5: it was tough for both of us i mean obviously my wife was diagnosed what um well i was she was six eight months before me um i was diagnosed in the august 2009 she was january um but i think i had it a lot earlier but obviously never got it checked out knew there was something wrong with me but never thought for one minute it, it was that um, so yeah, it was it, it was tough. It was just before it was just before Christmas that we found out really, and then it wasn't until after Christmas she went into into um, you know, hospital that they, they sort of detected the chronic myeloid leukemia that she that she had. And I always remember, you know, going up to um, a few days later, going up to a referee in the FA Cup third round. It was Great FA Cup third round is is a great day. Great day for for referees, um, not just clubs and players. Um, I was at Hartlepool Stoke, and you know, three days early, I think my wife had been diagnosed with with that. And it's funny how I kept thinking about, you know, my wife that day, and you know, in Hartlepool and at the game, and fans having a go at me, and I'm thinking, you know, you don't know what's what's you know going through my head. And there's the abuse they were giving me, it was good, all good humoured. And uh, but yeah, so and I remember when I was diagnosed <clears throat> with my my cancer, I was refereeing. It was two days before. I refereed the opening game of the season um, it was Everton Arsenal and I just you know I should never refereed that game I wasn't well enough and I wanted to because I thought that'd be my last ever game and luckily enough nothing happened and I got through it but I never once thought about me I was just thinking about getting through that game and coming out unscathed and um, as I said no one knew about it, what, what happened to me because I'm well, on on the Monday, I was going in for my um, operation to remove the tumour from my throat, and obviously, then five days later, it, it came it came back, and that's when I end up with the, the, the fantastic hospital, um, the Christie in Manchester. Um, but it was it was tough. I mean, my wife was 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 struggling, and I was struggling. But I, I, if if anything, it was my wife, really, Michelle, that. Um, that sort of got me through because she was kicking my backside, stopped me feeling down, even though she was, you know, battling as well, but she was, she was the rock. And, um, obviously my little, my daughter Lucy at the time was four. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was fantastic. And the way, the way they helped me and, and the football family was, was brilliant as well. So, but lucky yeah, we're both still here, still battling and, um, hopefully we're here for a lot longer.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, um, uh, Mark, I just wanted to sort of also ask you, it, it, I, I read somewhere that you, you said that you coming back to refereeing after cancer, you hope that was an inspiration for, for people. What would be your advice, if you like, to, to anyone going through cancer? Perhaps they're just starting that, that process. What, what would you say to them? I think the, the, the main thing is, 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 is the love and support
5: of all your family um and you have to be positive you have to be positive that you're gonna you're gonna you've got to believe that you're gonna you're gonna win that battle you're gonna you're gonna show cancer the red card and my my, my professor Tim who was fantastic with me he said you know any if you can carry on doing card, cardiovascular work while you're undergoing treatment you, know, you you'll have a great chance of of, of surviving um So I tried to do that when I, when I could, you know, I tried to go out for, for, for walks and I tried to go on, although be it 30 seconds on the treadmill because I couldn't, I I just, I just couldn't, but I I tried, I tried, I went out walking, I went out jogging when I could, because when you have that chemo, once it hits you, it takes you down. And then after, you know, one week, two weeks, three weeks, you start climbing that mountain and you're feeling good again. And then all of a sudden you're going in for your next treatment and you go back down again. So, um, for me, it's that positivity, and you've got—you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that you're going to show cancer the red
1: card and, and, and win your bat- battle. Uh, and Mark, just just finally, um, I, I'm sure you were expecting me to ask you about this VAR. So obviously, lots of criticism, but just want to hear your thoughts uh, um, as a former referee. I think. Listen, I, th- I think, you know,
5: the last, last season we saw in, in, in the English Premier League that it was consistent at being inconsistent and we were, we, we, we were refereeing the game far too many times and VAR is there for the absolute howler. It's there for the clear and obvious yes. error, not subjective decisions that we saw um, VAR coming in last season. Um, and I think what we saw in the Euro 2020 was absolutely fantastic. That's, that is how... Um, VAR should work. That is how referees should be allowed to referee the game. So we, we have seen those inconsistencies already. But the main thing for me is that, you know, the referees are letting the game flow. They're giving the, the, the game time to breathe. And that that's what we want to see. And I think hopefully over the, the coming weeks, we will see we will see the, the more consistency with, with VAR, hopefully. But that comes from the leadership and direction of
1: the PGMNR management. Thank you, Mark. And now we have another guest, Dennis Green. And Dennis, you were a striker with Wickham and Dagenham and Redbridge. What do you remember from those days?
6: Um, obviously, you know, Wickham was probably the, the best club I'd been at. You know, we had Martin O'Neill as a manager, and the group of lads that we had there, we're still friends to this day. You know, people like Steve Guppy, Gary Smith. We were, even after we left the football club, we going on holiday every year to places like Feleraki and stuff. We'd always have a lot of lads holiday. But even now, I've been back there four or five times playing in charity matches. Um, so it's one of them where all them players have always stayed in touch. I think it was a special group. that won a lot of things. Obviously, the conference, the, the playoff from um, League Two, beating Preston at Wembley the year before. We would had the trophy final at Wembley doing the double, winning the league. I think only four clubs have achieved that. So it was a really special time, the three years we had at Wickham. And then it was good to leave there and go to Dagenham, which is sort of like a local club to me. So it was always nice to play for Dagenham. My dad played for Dagenham. So that was quite a special time as well. So two fantastic clubs and two teams I really
1: enjoy playing for. And you went out to Finland, didn't you? You play for FC Hacker, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, from... It depends if you had a drink or not. yeah. From 1999 till 2001, I, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, and during that time, they they won the and I'm going to try and pronounce this the liga which is the Finnish Premier Division. It's probably yeah. wrong, but never mind. Yeah. Um, and they qualify for the Champions League. So, what do you remember from your your time in Finland? We did. It's amazing time because I was playing non-league football at the time. Um, over
6: here, I think I might have been at Wilson at the time. I was now at the um, twilight of my career. Like I was in Finland from like 32 to 34. And I was playing over here for the season, then going out there in April and then spending five months out there because after that it was frozen. And I remember in my first year, when we won the league with um, FB Haka, we reached the Finnish Cup final as well. And we played at the National Stadium in their equivalent, the FA Cup final. And it was minus 15 the day we played. But obviously undersoil eating, but the season had ended, but we had three weeks now to wait until this cup final. And we were straining with snow coming down most days. It was quite incredible. So a really, really good experience. And then when we won that, we qualified for the UEFA Cup. And I think we played Banger and then we played Panius. Ronnie Whedon was managing Panius at the time. And then... The following year, I had two years out there. And then when we came back the following year, and I never went back out there for the third season, they drew Rangers and then they drew Liverpool in the Champions League. So I was just there maybe two years too early. If it had been um, two years afterwards, um, that would have been two fantastic games to play. In.
1: And Dennis, you've also been a manager, of course. Um Tell me a little bit about what the managerial experience has, has been like for you. I've managed a few clubs now because
6: starting out, obviously my first club was your club, Windsor and Eaton. Um I finished as a player um, and got a phone call and started managing Windsor and Eaton. I finished playing there, I think, when I was 36, 37. Then went into managing uh, Windsor. From there, I went to uh, Maidenhead when I was in the Conference South. Then I went to Chesham. Then I went to then I went to Spain for four years. I was coaching out there for Charlton for four years. Then I came back and got a job at St Neots, and then that's what brought me nearer to the sort of like the Boston end. I went to St Neots to Histon, and then from Histon to Boston United.
2: So I've had a what, few.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and what were what were your best memories from from that time as a as a manager? Because you were at Boston for um, three years, I think, weren't you? My um, three full seasons, I
6: had 10 games at the end of one season and I had 17 games, I think, into the next season. So nearly nearly four years, which is quite an achievement managing Boston. Let me tell you, if you go back through their history, most managers don't last longer than a season. So that was quite an achievement because they're, they're a demanding bunch at Boston. But I think before that, you know, the team we had at St. Neots was incredible. I had two years at St. Neots. I took over from Steve Lomas and... We built a team there that was incredible. You know, they'd never been out of this UCL league in their 103-year history, I think it was, and we won the UCL and then a Division One back-to-back. Back. But some of the memories from that was, was incredible. To so have two, you know, title-winning teams and um, cup winners twice. I think we made the semi-final of the Vars. It might have been one year, but they were two incredible years, and that really probably set me up to get the opportunity to go to Boston. Um yeah, then Boston was sort of like a different level again because I'd gone from managing the UCL in Division 1 then into the Conference South with heavy demands, um, a lot of supporters. But we had three really good seasons, the three full seasons there. We had two playoffs. We just missed out in the first year coming sixth and then we come third and we come fifth. And unfortunately, the, the first year we should have gone up. We lost on penalties when we was 2-0 up in that game. We drew 0-0 in the first leg and was 2-0 up in that second leg. <laughs> 94 minutes gone on the clock, 2-1 up. Our goalkeeper's got the ball in the hand, four minutes of injury time gone with 94 minutes, and he's on the floor with the ball in his hand. And somehow he's kicked it up the pitch, they've punted it back in, and the six-foot-four centre midfield players, over red kick in the top corner, uh, one minute over, like 95 minutes, to make it 2-0, and end up going to penalties. And we had two penalties to win it and missed them both. And then in sudden death, we missed the penalty and they scored. But the team we'd have played in the final that year was a team called Geisley. They'd, they'd come fifth, and we'd come third. And only the week previous, we'd beaten five-one at Boston, and we would have played the final at Boston. So I think that year, when we come third, we had our best chance, and and unfortunately, it just wasn't to be. You know, when someone scores an overhead kick in one minute over added time, sometimes it's not to be. But fantastic members again, great group of lads, and most of them gone, Most of them have gone on to do better things. You know, I think five of them are now playing in the football league having good careers. You know, Carl Brijani signed him at 19 when he got relegated with um, Corby, I think it was. But Zach Mills, he got relegated with Histon, brought him over. These were all 19, 20. Kane Felix had at St. Neitz. He was 17 when we brought him over. And they've gone on to have league careers. So a real big satisfaction to bring a real young group together that was generally like twenty twenty one and to have two fantastic playoff seasons with these young players. And now see them now, 26-27, playing in the Football League. So, you know, I feel really proud of the job that we've done there.
1: And, and just going back again to your um, former club, Wickham, um, how do you see them doing in League One this season? They're really unlucky in the end not to survive,
6: um, you know, in the last few games. You know, for them to get as many points as they did, I think it's 44 points or something in the Championship for a club as small as Wickham that's probably got the lowest wage bill by far in the Championship. Probably one of the lowest wage bills in League Two. But they've been strong in sorry, League One They've been strong in League One now for a number of years. They've finally managed to get up. I think they really unlucky getting relegated last year. But I think they're going to be stronger this year because they've managed to keep most of the group. So they're realistically a bottom-end Championship team. So I think it won't be playoffs for them this year. I really do think they'll go up automatically this year. And what about Dagenham? Let me add as well. You know, Wickham are such a great club. You know, I get emails all the time from Wickham. This is 25 years later. If ever you want to come to a game, they'll always give you a free ticket. You'll be introduced on the pitch at half time. But you get these constantly. That They're such a family club. They're an incredible
1: football club. And, you know, what they've achieved has just been amazing, really. And Dagenham in the National League, how about them? What do you think they'll do this season?
6: It's, it's difficult. I mean, Dagenham's,
1: they just struggle with their finances. Um, it's,
6: it's really difficult for them. Um, you know, the, the support has never really been there. You know, you think when we was at Wickham, we was getting six, 7,000 a week when we was in the national conference. You know, Dagenham might be lucky if they're getting 1,500, 1,200 or something like that. So, it's always difficult. I think in this day and age they have to have good academies that can put some kind of contribution into the football club. I think Borum would do it the best out of all the um, non-league teams and even with their five, six hundred support. They keep managing to be in and around the playoffs, sometimes in the playoffs. So, you know, it's just difficult with Dagenham. It's hard to get a benefactor that's going to try and support you. A non-league costs so much money. So they, they, they finished the season well last year, Dagenham. So I'm hoping that they'll have quite a decent team because for a number of years, they competed well in League Two and in League One. So it's a shame that they're back in the national conference. The, the ground has been developed. So they do deserve to probably be a football league club. But when only one goes up, it's very difficult to get out of
1: them kind of leagues. Uh, And what about you, Dennis, in terms of management? Is it it, uh, something you're looking to get back into? Absolutely. I mean, the last two years have obviously been,
6: um, you know, COVID's changed a lot of things in the last two years. They've had two seasons in non-league where they practically haven't finished. So hopefully this year, things will get back to normal. You know, I like managing. I like the rapport with the supporters. I like the, the, the buzz with the lads. And there's a few people I've spoken to that were still in management during this time where they were getting changed in changing rooms. No supporters in. They weren't going in the bar after to have a drink. You know, I like all that side of football. It's always been a part of me. I like to, you know, try and have a close-knit group brought together with supporters and players. So now it's getting back to normal this year. Hopefully there'll be an opportunity to arise at some stage. You know, my CV's good. So hopefully there can be an opportunity. And I'd like to really go back down south and manage because I've spent the last 10 years up north and south is probably where my heart is. So hopefully there'll be an opportunity down south for me somewhere.
1: Thank you, Dennis. And now it's time for our weekly look at women's football. And Sherelle, the Women's Super League starts this weekend. Which games are you looking forward to?
7: Oh, God, there's some massive games and some fantastic signings this summer, so... Um, I mean, Chelsea, I've, I've got a bit of Chelsea. I think, you know, like I said in my last one, I think they're going to do very well. Um, but yeah, I I mean, every game mark, (laughs) it's just going to be unbelievable. It's like the weekend just gone now, the championship. I mean, some of the results that have come out of there, I mean, London Lioness has beaten Liverpool away. That's phenomenal. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you, if you've seen some of the signings for Liverpool, Matt Beard has done a fantastic job there. So, the London Lionesses to go away on their ground and beat them one 0 is, is is amazing. So and then Crystal Palace, of course, my former team, um, you know, beating Bristol at home four uh, three was just phenomenal. And Coral scoring two goals, you know. So yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting season for everyone. But you know, this weekend is the big weekend of yeah WSL. So exciting times.
1: And you've got a guest to introduce now, haven't you?
7: Absolutely, yeah. And a very exciting guest as well. Um, so, yeah, we've got Jennifer Curry, who's a goalkeeper. Jennifer, uh, you've played for Hearts, Hibs in Scotland. You've yeah. reached the last 32 of the Champions League with Hibs. Tell us, what was that like?
8: Oh, uh, It was really, really great. Um, I'd say, I mean, when I signed for Hibs, I knew kind of what I was signing up for. Like, they already had a number one keeper, so I kind of took a gamble for my own development in my ability. And I knew I was going to be spending a lot of time on the bench. Um, but going away, you know, ex- actually experiencing Champions League. And we went to Slovenia for 10 days for the qualifying. It's like a mini tournament. Um, and to win all three games and get through to the last 32 was just, unbelievable so we had a home leg and away leg against uh Slavia Prague so we played our home game at Easter Road you know there was thousands of fans there it was just oh it was yeah unbelievable you got blown away didn't you definitely just to walk out like warming up and everything seeing all the fans come in it was just you know something I've never experienced before
7: oh amazing and and what was that feeling like when you first not like the warm-up because it's different, but what was the feeling like when you first walked onto kind of the pitch and the crowd? What, what was that like?
8: Yeah, I mean, it was just, I'd say it's hard to take everything in because you're kind of yeah. on a game day, like whether you're on the bench, or on the pitch, whatever, you're totally focused on the game. Mm. And so you don't really, I think at some point you just zone out and don't really, hear the crowd but then like half time full time when you can just step back from the game and really appreciate you know the state the massive stadium you're playing in the kind of the atmosphere it's just yeah totally oh it's just amazing
7: oh fantastic
8: and is that kind of one of your highlights of your career um i'd say one of them i when i was selected for Scotland under 18s you know we went off and played a tournament in Ukraine and again that was in front of like you know well it's in a massive stadium
9: yeah.
8: decent for under 18s it was a decent sized crowd um, and you had kind of kids come asking for pictures and it just for a 17 year old especially it's just yeah you don't like expect that's real <laughs> yeah you don't expect anything like that
7: that actually brought me on to my next point. So when you played for under-18s uh, for Scotland then, what was it like getting that first phone call of, of you getting called up?
8: Yeah, I mean, it was... I think it was done a lot differently because I'm... I mean, I'm 25 now, but back then it was kind of you got a letter or it was an email sent through your coach kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, just to get... Like, it's just it was a total shock didn't expect it at all and for it to be something like because I've gone through training camps and things but yep. and the training camps are like larger squads and then they pick a team from that so to have gone through years of the training camps kind of being held in Glasgow and things to then being told right we've got a tournament in Ukraine which was like this know no one had ever really heard of it it was this amazing like new place to go it was uh yeah quite surreal i bet i bet fantastic that's
7: really good and then you played in bulgaria last season then uh for Pirin. sorry if i pronounce this wrong uh (laughs) do you want to pronounce it for me
8: (laughs) Uh, there
7: we go uh what was that experience like um yeah what was it like tell us a bit about it because was it? I've never been overseas, other than America. So, is it completely different to, to England and Scotland? What was your experience like?
8: Yeah, I mean, so it was a totally difficult to explain. Like, it was really kind of last minute. The fact I even went over there, my agent just said one day, like midweek, Oh, I've got a team. Like, how do you fancy Bulgaria? And I was like, well, I'm going to have to look it up because I don't actually know where it is, like what money they use. Like, And I don't know anything about Bulgaria. <laughs> and he was like, oh, the coach like really wants to know, like I've sent him your footage and everything. And uh, by the end of that week, I was speaking to the coach and by the Monday or Tuesday, I was flying out. So it was wow. like, it it's was... A quick turnaround. Very quick. So I don't, yeah. I really don't think I had enough time to fully processed what I was getting myself into (laughs) I (laughs) guess sometimes they're the best ways aren't they oh yeah definitely because I don't regret it at all like it was an incredible experience and like just you know packing up one suitcase and flying out there um because of I mean it was right in the middle of COVID and everything yeah so the coach was kind of like right pack for like we want you to come over for kind of a trial period so pack for a week but also pack for four months because if we if we both agree that you're gonna stay, there's no point in going home. Like I would have had yeah. to isolate and test and all that kind of rubbish that we have to do now. But um <laughs> yeah, so I ended up agreeing to stay and stayed there for the whole year. And it was just fantastic. You know, it was it's a totally different culture out there. Um I've never seen a country so laid back. Like <laughs> Oh
7: really? Is it so just completely different?
8: It's completely different. So the town I was in was absolutely beautiful, like surrounded by mountains, oh. not at all what I expected. And um so I had an apartment like right in the centre of the town. Oh fantastic. And a training could either be in the morning or the evening. There wasn't really a set kind of time. It changed every day. Um so if it was in the evening, you know, we'd go out at lunchtime and just sit and have coffee and just kind of chill. Like our whole day was just wandering around, just
7: <laughs> chilling, waiting coffee. for the game day or
8: something. Yeah, just literally living we would live for the yeah, the game day and then back to Monday. And I mean Monday was never a Monday because it's just you're back at training and it's just the same.
7: Routine that's yeah. fantastic,
8: and um, and what was the what was the level like of football out there? Um, it's a it is a bit lower yep. than I'd say in the UK, but they're definitely heading in the right direction. They've had a lot of investment over the last, well, probably the last season. Because when the team I joined, that was their very first season. Right. Okay. A, so uh, all, okay,
7: so they're completely new.
8: Oh yeah so it was all oh, yeah. all different because the season before i went there was only 10 teams in the league and then mm-hmm. by the time i went over there was 14 and now i think this season they're they're up to 16 already oh, so well, that's rapid growth then really oh, and we had you know it went from i don't think they had any kind of promotion like before last season so but went from nothing to our games were on TV. There, like we had, there was new social media pages made just for the just for the league, and they post oh, wow. all the scores. And it was definitely, you know, they were really putting a lot of a lot of effort into it.
7: Now that's fantastic to hear, especially from you know. I'm sure I'm not really sure how you started football or when you started football, but can you see kind of the progress? And you know, you're talking about bulgaria there and how quickly their seasons are wrapping at 16 in a league fantastic
8: yeah. and the
7: same as the uk how quickly it's growing um yeah. it's fantastic so jennifer what are your plans now then so are you back in scotland
8: so i'm back back in scotland still uh looking for a team had a few problems with uh, brexit okay so non-eu passports and all that um but really i mean i want to keep playing you know as long as i can i don't have forever um but I'd, i think i'm going to start coaching as well just alongside playing cuz yeah the like when i was in america like obviously i i did go there to play football and getting a degree was just kind of an added bonus <laughs> um so, and then, when I came back to Scotland, I got a master's degree in uh, psychology. 100%. so I'd like to, you know take a, get a few coaching badges, take my psychology into it, and you know, I, I want to stay in football like after i after I'm done playing, I do yeah. want to continue, and you know, even if I can help the group like women's football grow more. Um, That would be, I
7: think, I think that's what it needs, isn't it? It needs more females in the game to help younger generations move up. Um, definitely. So, no, I definitely, you know, keep an eye out for you. (laughs) Um, but no, good luck with your plans. Um, I'm sure you'll get snapped up. Um, coming in, I mean, you know, you're only 25, so you've got a very long future ahead. (laughs) Um, but no, thank you for joining us today, and good luck with your future. Thank
1: you. So now it's time for
0: football fans from around the world,
1: and we have George de Costa, who's an Arsenal fan, and Colin Ng, who's a Liverpool fan, and they're both in Singapore. So welcome to the Early Doors Football Podcast to both of you. And George, I'd like to start with you. When and why did you start supporting Arsenal?
9: Thanks, Mark, for inviting me on this podcast. I already feel like a celebrity. So to answer your question, yes, uh, I started following English football and Arsenal around uh, the late 90s. Uh, I moved to Singapore in around 98. And uh, there was already a well-established English football scene here in Singapore, uh, though a lot of the supporters were uh, Liverpool and Man U. And uh, that was also the time that the World Cup was played and France beat uh, Brazil. And uh, I quite like the way uh, the French played. They had, um, you know, they're very classy footballers, uh, classy people, and uh, they sort of brought that class to the uh, to the football as well. And right about at that time, Arsene Wenger had also moved in uh, to uh, Arsenal. And um, watching the French uh, World Cup team beat Brazil uh, really got me more connected to uh, the team with Arsenal, because they had a lot of French uh, members as well. They had uh, Patrick Vieira, they had Emmanuel Petit, they had Pires, uh, Thierry Henry. So, um, and I like that style of playing. Uh, English football used to be quite boring, and, and and with the introduction of Arsene Wenger on the scene and, and him bringing this uh, entire, uh, you know, a new team together, uh, I like the way they played football, the way they passed the ball around, they brought it up. And, uh, and that's how I got hooked onto to uh, this team. So I was not really looking at Liverpool and, and Man U. I wanted another team to support. And I, I latched on to Arsenal. And I've been a Ghana ever since.
1: And uh, Colin, coming to you, why did you start supporting Liverpool?
10: Yeah, so for me, it was like, you know everybody seemed to be supporting Man U. And my parents, or rather my dad and my brother, both loved Man U. So, Naturally, I had to be the son that said, no, I am not going to support this team that you're all supporting. Uh, it helped that I had an older friend who I respected a lot. And he told me about this guy, Michael O. And I watched a clip of him. I was like, this guy is so fast. He's just running past everybody. How is he doing that? And, you know, hey, that's, that's when uh, I decided, okay, I will probably pick this team. And being nine or 10 years old, you, you don't really know anything. You just pick, okay, this team and, and, and that's it. And interestingly, I actually think that if I had watched Bergkamp first, I would have become an Arsenal fan. But just because I had watched, I had seen Michael Owen first, I therefore became a Liverpool fan and uh, you can't change your loyalties, I think.
1: Yeah, that's a good, good point. And um, Colin, tell us what your favourite memory is of, of your time supporting Liverpool so far.
10: Yep. so my favourite memory is definitely the treble winning year. The one that uh, they won the UEFA Cup, League Cup, and FA Cup. I remember watching the UEFA Cup. It was, I mean, in Singapore, it's about 3, 4 a.m. when you watch the game. And I remember watching it on a Wednesday or Thursday night, getting ready to go to school. And you're thinking, oh, no, it's going to be extra time. I'm going to be so tired when I go to school. But but it's end-to-end, you know, 5-4. And in the middle of that, night, you can't cheer that loudly. You have to suppress all your excitement. But, but you know, at the end, I, remember, I scream. Argh! And my parents came and I said, excuse me, can you please stop shouting? It's like 5 a.m. That that to me is my favorite memory. Just because it was, I was so young, and it really something that uh, was ingrained in me.
1: And and George, your, your best moment as an Arsenal fan?
9: Well, that would have to be the the Invincibles, uh, two thousand three, two thousand four. Uh, can't forget that. Um, excellent uh, track record. Went through forty nine matches unbeaten, uh, and it, and it really came together as a team. I would say. I mean. Uh, they were playing really good football from 98, 99, and it just kept getting better and better. And and they really peaked at, uh, at that stage. So that would be the best moment.
1: And um, Colin, I just want to finish by asking you, where do you think Liverpool will finish? What position this season?
10: With Van Dijk back, I believe they'll finish first. Having him back, you know, means that the fullbacks are more willing to push forward. The midfield line doesn't need to drop so deep. It means that the strikers are nearer to the goal. They can press faster and they're going to use less energy. I'm going to say first, but I am afraid about what happens when Salah and Mane go for the African Cup of Nations.
1: And and George, um, Arsenal, where, where do you think they'll finish this season?
9: Like I said before, that's a very tough question to answer. Uh, and given the way they've been... the the last uh, games that they've played. Um, I'm not too hopeful of them uh, even qualifying for uh, Europa. So I would probably put them at around ninth, but they'll definitely be in the top 10.
1: Okay, well, thank you, George. Thank you, Colin. Uh, Great to, to speak to you both in Singapore. And that was...
0: Football fans from around the world.
1: And that's it for episode three. Thank you for joining us Thanks to all of our guests and we'll see you next week.
0: Early Doors football podcast for football fans worldwide. If you want to get in touch with Mark and the rest of the team, you can reach them on Early doors at forthenow.co.uk.